Canaan. It's all about Jesus. It's not about religion, it's about relationships. Where beginners are welcome. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And it's okay to not be okay. It's great to see everyone. Thanks for being here today. Thanks to all of you joining online. And to all of our men, happy Father's Day. Uh, you all play a tremendous role. And I know that most churches that I've been in contact with prior to coming to Canaan, kind of the thing was is that godly, mature, on fire for the Lord men are just hard to find. Well, I praise the Lord that we have more than a few here at Canaan. So thank you. Uh, to the gentlemen we have in this church that are that love Jesus, serve him faithfully. Uh, so we're continuing our series today on churchology. And we began this series a couple of weeks ago. So we're going to be in the book of Titus this morning. So you can go ahead and be getting your Bible out or opening up your app or whatever and, and going to Titus chapter 1, where we're going to continue the series called Churchology. You know, um, there's a lot of, as we talked about two weeks ago, there's a lot of metaphors in Scripture that tries to help us understand who we are as the church. You know, you have the, the metaphor that uh, Jesus uses a lot, like in John chapter 10, where Jesus is the good shepherd, which means we are a bunch of, what? Sheep, we're a flock of sheep, right? Not the most flattering metaphor for us, but a good one nonetheless. Uh, the family of God, uh, we are the, the you know, army of God, we are the bride of Christ, and that's, that's a good one, that's, that's a powerful one, because as we talk about you know, Father's Day, and we're going to look at specifically elders and pastors and overseers today and how that applies to some of the dads. Um, we look at Jesus' role in our lives as the church. Being the bride of Christ, Jesus, if you read Ephesians 5, he, he wants to wash us with the word of God and make us spotless and without blemish. Jesus loves us deeply. It is an incredibly blessing, an incredible privilege to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's an incredible blessing. It's a privilege. It's an honor to be saved, to be rescued. Jesus has paid so much for you and me to be a part of this incredible reality called the bride of Christ, the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And so as we, if you're going through this book of Titus, the apostle Paul writes this letter uh, to Titus is uh, kind of taking over the leadership of all the churches on the island of Crete in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and as we, as Pastor Martin read last week, uh, we'll read it again today, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, he, he kind of talks about Titus needs to go around and appoint elders in every town because Jesus is concerned for his church. He wants his church to be led well. He wants his church to be without blemish, without stain. And so this whole letter to Titus is all about the church. It's all about what the church should look like, how the church should function, and the purpose of the church. And so it's just a rich a little book. And so we're going to continue in Titus chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 5 through 9 today. Uh, so please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word as we just dive right in. So Titus chapter 1, verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. And as I directed you, appoint elders in every town. One who is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of wildness or rebellion. For an overseer, as God's administrator, must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not addicted to wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught, 
so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this uh, amazing time that you have and your sovereign goodness ordained for us to be here, gathered together to worship you, to honor you, to uh, spend time in fellowship with one another. Lord, to be able to sing these incredible songs for you, to you, and about you. And, and Lord, just to hear the beautiful singing of your people, uh, just celebrating you out of our hearts and affections. God, thank you. And Lord, I just pray now as we open your word and we talk about your bride, um, Lord, I just pray you're honored that you would just uh, use this time to uh, not only deepen our, our understanding, but also, God, to deepen our appreciation and our inspiration, our gratitude that we get to be a part of your bride. So, Lord, we just uh, commend all this time to you, use it for your glory and honor. Uh, we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Go ahead and be seated. Uh, if you have the hard copy sermon notes, go ahead and bring those out. If you didn't have those, if you don't have that, you can pull up the sermon notes on the church app. Canaan STL is the app. If you haven't downloaded that, you can. You can follow along and take some notes. So, so last week, I was down in Nashville getting ready for the Southern Baptist Convention, which uh, is always a, an interesting week, and this past week did not disappoint as far as interest goes, uh, but it went better than I thought it would, so um, very hopeful. We'll, we'll kind of unpack that later on, but um, really good, but last week, Pastor Martin, um, he, he kind of started this conversation here in Titus chapter one about elders, and so just kind of a, a review uh, what we looked at is uh, last week is that we see three terms used in the New Testament uh, really referring to, uh, most hold, I, I agree, that the same position, that of elder, overseer, or uh, pastor. And so we see these three terms, uh, the Greek term presbyteros, which is used many times in the New Testament. Uh, it is translated elder and refers to those who are spiritually mature. Not necessarily a physical age, but more of a spiritual maturity level is usually uh, what's, what's kind of in, inclined to you there. Secondly is the word episkopos, which of course, presbyteros, you see the word presbyterian, right? Episkopos, you see the word episcopal, and that's usually translated as overseer or bishop. And then the Greek word poimen, which is the word translated usually pastor or shepherd. Now we see these words used interchangeably, and Pastor Martin did this very well last week, but let's just kind of briefly, so the Presbyterian church, how many of you ever, if any of you, did any of you grow up Presbyterian or have ever been a part of a Presbyterian church? A few of you, okay. So in the Presbyterian uh, church tradition, uh, the polity of the church, which is the way decisions are made, right? They have a board of elders and it is elder ruled, meaning if you're a member of the congregation in the Presbyterian church, you don't vote. The elders make all the decisions. That's the Presbyterian format taken from the Greek word presbyteros. Episcopal, anybody grew up Catholic or Episcopalian or Anglican? Okay, some of y'all did. So that is bishop ruled, uh, the ruling of one. So in fact, in the most Catholic church tradition and some Episcopal, the bishop is the church. Everyone else just is kind of a, along for the ride, but you don't have a church unless you have the bishop. So the bishop is kind of the key figure. Very different thought process than what we have. And then you have the word pastor, poimen. What's interesting here is there's only one passage in the New Testament where the noun form of this word, of this word is used. And uh, it's translated pastor most times. Sometimes it's just left as um, shepherd. But this is a church that's you know, led by the shepherd where the church does have kind of some say-so. Congregational church, this is what we as Baptists are. We are 
democratic in our process. So in these three terms, we see three different biblical models for how churches operate, right? And we're gonna unpack that a little bit more next week, but that's just kind of a review of those terms. But if you go to New Testament church leadership, you kind of see even a broader view uh, because they had more than just pastors, elders, overseers, and deacons. We see in Ephesians chapter four, where it says, in Christ gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, that's where the word pastor is, the pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So when the New Testament was being written, you know, right after Jesus had resurrected and ascended and sent the Holy Spirit, we see different roles and functions and offices in the church. Here, Jesus mentions the apostles. You know, this was the original 12, um, minus Judas, plus Matthias, and plus Paul. And some debate whether Matthias really should have been one or not. You know, it's a fun conversation. But the apostles, they were the early leaders of the church. This is Peter and, and Paul and Andrew and all these guys, right? And, you know, they, it was a special season for them as they were doing many signs and wonders. You know, Peter and Paul, they healed people and um, things just incredibly had Paul and Peter both raised someone from the dead. Uh, just incredible stuff that God was doing in them and through them to authenticate this new day, this new age of the church and so it's a really interesting time. The last one was the Apostle John who, who died in the 90s AD. And when he died, this, this office of apostle closed. Uh, it was only for that generation. They wrote scripture. They supervised the writing of scripture. They had that special kind of, of revelation. And so that office closed. And then we see the prophets. Uh, these would have been those that had a, a special revelation from God who, who spoke uh, authoritatively in the name of the Lord, be having special revelation from the Holy Spirit. And we see this also as a temporary office. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse eight, it says, love never ends. As for prophecies, uh, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, there's a lot of great theological conversation on what is that perfect, what is that? Is that, is that the word of God, is that the scriptures? Or is that the return of Christ? There's a lot of different theories on what that perfect is, but the big point here is that prophecy tongues, those were temporary, are temporary in nature. But then we get to what remains. Well, first we see is an evangelist. The evangelist is someone who is especially gifted by God to preach the gospel. Now let me, let me caveat this, all of us, have the responsibility to share the gospel, amen? We're all called to share testimony, to witness to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, family members, but there's just some people who have, they're just really good at that. You know what I'm talking about? You met anyone like that? You know, they could, they could walk into a restaurant, have a seat, and before they order their, their hamburger, they're, they're like deep into the gospel with conversation with the waitress. You know, that's, that's a special gifting. Now, we all can get better at that and do that, but there's just some who really have a great gift at that. And some have a great gift to do that on a big level. Like, when I say the word evangelist, what's a name that comes to your mind? Billy Graham, that's right. You know, he just, I could sit there, I, get a, I could get a transcript of Billy Graham's sermon. I could get up here and I could read it word for word. But probably, you know, 
5,000 people is not going to come down the front and get saved, right? Because I just, there's just something about his gifting. That was just his gifting, his calling. And God just, you know, just really used him in a powerful way to share the gospel. Well, evangelist is still a function in and through the church for the unbelievers. It's still a great role. But then you have the pastors and the teachers. And the next week we'll also talk about um, deacons as well. So here's what's in the church today. And so, or specifically today, we're looking at the role and function. So last week, Pastor Martin went through the qualifications of these elders and overseers. Today, we're looking at the role and function of the elders and overseers and pastors. So the big thought today is elders, we'll use that term, because that's what's here in Titus chapter one. Elders are called to lead the church by teaching God's word, shepherding the flock, and serving as examples of godly character. Let's just dive right in. So Paul's concerns that on, on the churches on this island in Crete, Mediterranean Sea, that there are some things that are not yet in order. There's some, there's some loose ends. There's not, there's not a clear path forward. And so Paul knows that the first step that Titus has to do is go to each one of these towns appointing elders at each local church in these towns so that they'll have this right here. They'll have the intentional teaching of God's word. They'll have those Men in place, shepherding the flock, and they will have those serving as a way of a godly example of godly character. So, number one in your notes, we see here that elders are to continue to grow in their walk with Jesus. You know, what would Titus be looking for as he gets to the island of Crete? And he goes from town to town. He, he meets with each local church. And he says, hey, I come to you in the name of Christ, and the apostle Paul sent me. My name's Titus. As he began to, to get to know the people, what's he looking for? He's looking for those men, right, who are qualified, as Paul describes uh, right after this, that Pastor Martin talked last week, but he's also looking for those men who are hungry to grow in Christ, who are passionate about their walk with Jesus, where, you know, church is not just something on the side. Jesus is not just one of many categories in their life, but that Jesus is their everything. Jesus is the epicenter of all of life. That's what Titus is looking for, someone who continues to grow in their walk with Jesus, because we all have a ways to go, don't we? Amen? I mean, you find the most seasoned pastor, and if he is honest, which a seasoned pastor hopefully will be honest all the time, right? But he'll say, I still am growing in the Lord. I still have much to learn. And I know for me, the more I know, the more I know I don't know. Does that make y'all follow that? The more you learn, the more you realize you have more to learn. You know, and it's, well, it's like the old country preacher Jay Vernon McGee used to say about the Bible, and I've heard, I've heard Wayman Starnes say this quote many times, but the Bible's like an orange. You can always squeeze more out of it, right? It's, great. it's like an onion. You just peel off another layer, and there's a whole other layer there just waiting to be discovered, waiting to be peeled back. I mean, it's the thing about the Word of God. This is why we always encourage you to, to be reading the Word of God daily, uh, to, to come to Sunday uh, sermons and to listen to podcasts and sermons online to go to connection group and study your word because this is a limitless depth of truth. And you, just when you think you've learned everything in a passage there is to learn, you'll, you'll learn something more. Because God is infinite, right? Amen? God is infinite. And so to, to plumb the depths of the word of God just a beautiful thing. And so we must continue to be growing, not just in our knowledge of the Word of God, but in our living out the Word of God. But James says, don't you know, be doers of the Word, not hearers only. So 
just growing and exercising their faith, growing in their walk with Jesus, that is something that elders are to be doing. Then number two in your notes, elders are to manage kingdom work in and through the church. Manage. Um, so here, see him here in verse seven. Verse seven, as an overseer is God's steward. And we understand that word steward, uh, as we've talked about stewardship in the past, and it's a very common biblical truth, and that word means manager. We're not owners, we're managers. Everything that's in our possession is not our possession. It's God's possession, amen? Our homes belong to God. Our automobiles belong to God. Our relationships belong to God. Our investments in bank accounts belong to God. Our church facilities belong to God. You know, it, I always love it when I go to my home church because, well, they just got chairs and got rid of pews, but um, the church I grew up in had the pews, and in the pews there would be a pillow ever so often. A pillow had some, some saint's name on it, right? Like, this is Sister Martha's pillow, and what does that mean? That's where Sister Martha always sits, you know? And so what happens, though, we can, we can tend to get this unhealthy sense of ownership, you know, whereas what happens if Sister Martha's running a few minutes late and Visitor Joe sits in Sister Martha's seat? What's Sister Martha do? Well, if she has a sense of ownership, she'll ask Visitor Joe to move. That's not understanding stewardship. This is God's place. This isn't ours, Right? These are God's classrooms. These are, this is God's worship center. We are God's people. We're not owners. So as, a, as an elder is to understand and manage the church, not to own it, not to. So what, what happens, though, we can creep into kind of seeing church through the lens of corporate American business. But we're not a business, fundamentally. We're a body. Nowhere in Scripture you see business as a metaphor for the church. We're a body. We're not an organization. We're an organism. Um, every metaphor for the church, the body of Christ, a flock of sheep, the bride of Christ is living, breathing kind of metaphor. Now, of course, that doesn't mean there's not some business principles. Obviously, we have financial things we have to do. We have, you know, we have a paid staff, so there's personnel stuff we have to do. But at our fundamental DNA, we are the body of Christ. So that's, that's who we are. And so relationships are to be at the heart of who we are, not merely rules and policies. We have to have some rules and policies, but relationships should be the king because we are the church. So at the heart of managing the church is not business affairs primarily. So any church where they begin to see the, the senior pastor as the CEO, I would say is not being a biblical church. Because you don't see that in Scripture. You see a plurality. You see more. We're going to talk about this some more next week. But it's not an owner. We are managers. We're stewards of the church. Their relationship with God, with each other, living out their purpose. And so the manager church is to take care, first and foremost, of the people. Of the people. This is why one example is um, caring. Who's caring for God's people? We see we see James chapter five, verse 14. James says, is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, the pastors. Let them pray over him, anointing with him all in the name of the Lord. That is caring for the people. So people, we're to make disciples. That's our 
business, is people. So relationships are huge. Number three, elders are to be, are to be shepherds of God's people. This was Jesus' favorite example for the church, was the, the flock of sheep. We see Peter later pick up on this in 1 Peter 5 and say, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So what are some things we see shepherds do for sheep that Jesus does for us and under shepherds, pastors, elders, overseers are to do for the people? A is feed God's people the word of God. Again, can't stress enough how important it is for us to be people of the word of God. Jesus gives us this great um, illustration in Matthew 4 and he's battling um, Satan and temptation. He uses scripture as his weapon. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Secondly, we are to protect God's people. There's a lot of things out there to get God's people today. I mean, according to scripture, we have three enemies. We have Satan's our enemy. The world and its fallenness, its corruption, its systems are our enemy. But also, who else is our enemy? Ourselves, right? Our flesh, our fallen nature is our enemy. So there's a lot of things that, you know, we, have, we need protection from. And so one of the role of, of pastors, elders, overseers, shepherds is to protect God's people. I mean, Jesus exemplified this in John 10 when he's having this conversation about sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Well, one thing that, you know, really can impact a church is what we believe in and what kind of theological influences are coming in to the church. And so we've got to be careful because there's a lot of very subtle nuances that can slip in and we might not catch, right, uh, as a whole. We've got to be on that. That's part of the job of pastors and shepherds and overseers is to protect the flock from, from, for doctrinal integrity. You know, so at the convention this past week, there was a lot of hubbaloo, what, what was going to happen and all the issues, you know, facing, was the Southern Baptist going liberal, was, you know, all this stuff, were, were we entertaining adopting critical race theory as a, as a way to, to really fix race relations and, you know, all these things, which if you don't know much about critical race theory, I think we're going to have a class on that topic this fall, but it's all about, you know, uh, it's out of secular humanism, atheistic mindset. It's not about the scripture. It's not about the gospel. So thankfully, the Southern Baptist Convention's pastor was very strong and adamant. We're, we don't believe in CRT. We are about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the answer to race reconciliation. And amen to that, right? That's right. So there's a lot of good things happened. You know, it was really, it was encouraging. So it could have been a lot worse, right, than, than what it was. So praise God for that. Again, we'll unpack more of that later on, but... Part of that was concern. How is this going to impact you? So as Martin and I went and, you know, my wife Tara and his wife Amy, Matt Easter went and some other folks from our church went, how is this going to impact you? So we're not a denomination. We're not like a top down. So what SBC endorses doesn't mean we have to endorse any of that. We are an autonomous church. It's the beauty of being Baptist. No one tells us what to do except Jesus. Amen? That's a good thing, Right? But it's about cooperation and partnership and just understanding how that partnership and even those subtleties could creep in. We've just got to be careful on those things. So some good things happened there. 
But we'll, again, we'll unpack that later. So, but that's why we're here to protect God's people. You know, we, we are, try to be careful with the songs we sing. We try to be um, careful with what's being taught in our connection groups and what's being taught in our classes. You know, Pastor Mike is over discipleship, so he, he screens all of that. Why? It's not because we're, you know, Nazis or anything crazy like that, right? We're here to protect you because it is so easy. It's so easy to just get a little off. You know, we've, we've talked about this analogy before, but, you know, if, if I'm taking a trip and I want to go to to Green Bay and watch the Packers play this fall, I'm a Packers fan, and I want to watch this football game, but I get on the interstate and I go 55 south. I'm not heading the right direction. But let's say I do head north. Let's say that if I wanted to go to Green Bay, you know, I've got to go north, northwest. But let's say I get like just three degrees off. That's not much. After about 20 miles, I'll be a few, maybe 100 feet off. When I go 1,000 miles, I'm going to be miles off where I need to be. And so this is the way the enemy works. He tries to get us off just a little bit at a time where it's not noticeable. Before we know it, we are miles away we're supposed to be. You know, 30 years ago, our convention was in a battle for, you know, over the concept of inerrancy and all this sort of thing. And, you know, we actually had professors in some of our seminaries that didn't even believe in the literal resurrection. How did we get there? Well, a little bit at a time. You start questioning this, it leads to that. So we just gotta be careful. And that's part of the role of pastors, overseers, and elders. I'm not going to be dogmatic. You don't have to believe. We don't all believe exactly the same thing on everything. But on the essentials, we must ensure that we have unity. So if someone stands up and says, I don't believe Jesus is really raised from the dead. Hey, this is probably not the church for you. Amen? Because that's non-negotiable. He is risen. And so that's a non-negotiable. And so the authority from how we understand our truth is the Bible. That's why the authority of Scripture is so important. So you can see how this is part of the church, the pastors protecting God's people. And then third, let us see, leading God's people. Leading God's people. This doesn't mean ruling. This doesn't mean, you know, making all the decisions. But this is leading. And again, we'll look at a good example of this in a minute. But leading. So here the the... 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who direct the affairs of the church or lead, guide, uh, will be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So lead. Number four, elders are to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. So we're gonna kind of get into some of this next week as we talk about elders, deacons working together. But Acts 6, 2 says, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Here's what was going on. The church was brand new, you know, and the church was growing rapidly. And all you had was the 12 apostles as far as the leaders of the church. And all of a sudden, you had these two group of widows. You had these Jewish widows, and you had these Gentile widows. And the Jewish widows were receiving the food that they needed because they couldn't work for themselves. They didn't have money, so the church was, you know, helping the widows. But then these Gentile widows were being left out. Now, unlike any other church, they complained. <laughs> that was tongue-in-cheek. Churches, we know churches don't really complain. But no, they were complaining. And so they say, hey, we're not getting our food. Well, the apostles dearly loved these ladies and really wanted to meet that need. But they also knew that if they took their time to meet that need, 
they would be neglecting their primary function of the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. So this is kind of where the idea, the, the genesis, if you will, the prelude to deacons come about. Although we don't see the word deacons mentioned in this passage, the verb form of that is serving tables. That's the deacon verb, right? So this is kind of where the concept came about. So it goes on. It says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good, rep- good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the role of pastor, overseer, elder, primarily is to focus on the ministry of the word. That doesn't mean just preparing messages, because I'm not the only pastor here and Martin, but we also have Mike, and Mike is ministering the word through making sure every connection group is on track and has what they need, training teachers and leaders. That's Mike's role. Um, you know, we see uh, Pastor Brian for the new campus, but now Justin for the student ministry, ministering the word to our teenagers and to our kids. Pastor Ed with senior adults, he ministers the word to our senior adults. That's what we're called to do. But also not just minister the word, but also prayer. And here, it talks about devoting ourselves to prayer. It doesn't just mean private individual prayer. This has the corporate annotation to it. So this is to ministry to the church through corporate prayer, making sure we're praying together, making sure we have special times of prayer in the worship service, making sure we're continuing to have corporate gatherings of prayer, even though there's not many of you come, there's some, you know, still have those, to make sure we have devoted times to pray. That's the ministry of the word. That's primary roles, because that was the apostles' role, but there are no apostles, so now elders, pastors, overseers take up that mantle. So that's the function of pastors and elders. But you know today's Father's Day, and I think it's also very appropriate to just share this thought. Go back two weeks ago, for those of you that were here, we talked about what is the church. Just, just review that. What is the church? Us, we are, we're the church. Is the church this building? No, that's right. This church is us, it's not the building. Where we go, the church goes. So for dads, when you're at home with your wife or granddad with your, your wife and your kids and your grandkids or you bring out the Bible or you pray over the meal, you just ask spiritual questions, what is that? That's church. And so in a real tangible way, although this is about, this passage is about the elders, pastors, overseers of the corporate body. There's also good application for dads as the frontline shepherd of your family. You're the frontline overseer. You're the frontline elder over your family. So let's just, let's just go back through and let's just apply some of this to dad. So let's just go all the way back to the big thought. And look at this through the lens of a dad, a father. Fathers are called to lead the family by teaching God's word, shepherding the flock, and serving examples of godly character. That's what we as dads are called to do. Now, in and of ourselves, it's impossible. It's hard. Being a godly dad is not easy. It's not for wimps. We will fail. 
I have epic dad fails weekly. So it's not about how much we mess up. It's about our goal. It's about our striving. It's about what we are pursuing. Because as long as we're pursuing being the godly dad, as long as we're pursuing trying to make sure our kids know God's word, as long as we're pursuing trying to shepherd our family in a godly way, as long as we're pursuing striving to be that example of godly character, we're on the right path. You're gonna fail, you're gonna mess up. When it comes time to, to disciple your children, you know, me, I'm, in my thinking, like, okay, I gotta have this big curriculum all figured out from, you know, three years old all the way to 18. Man, that's way hard, right? No, just, just open the Bible. Read a passage. Just, just ask a couple of questions. Hey, what do you learn about Jesus in this passage? What, what's, what's something that you can apply to yourself right here today? What can we pray about? It's not, we don't have to make it so hard. It's not meant to be that hard. But this is what dads are doing. So let's just kind of go through the points real quick. Dads are to continue to grow in their walk with Jesus. No matter where you are, you might be brand new to the faith. In fact, you might be here today and maybe you're with your family and you're not a follower of Jesus yet. Wherever you are, it's a good place to start heading in the right direction. So if you're here today and you're a dad and you're not a follower of Jesus, give your life to Christ today. What a great Father's Day gift to our perfect father because there's only one perfect dad and that's God, amen? The rest of us, we are way far from perfect. How many of you as a dad, you feel that and like, man, I'm not a perfect dad. Just raise your hand, absolutely. I mean, we can really mess things up, but God is the perfect dad. But we are to continue. So if, you, if you're here today never trust in Christ, man, give your life to Christ today. That's a great gift to our Heavenly Father. If you're a new believer, a new dad, good news is we're not meant to do this alone. We've got a church filled with godly men who, yeah, they've messed up, but they've also learned a lot of things, some of them the hard way. They have a lot of practical, biblical wisdom to give to you. So if you're like new to this or you're new to the faith or you're new to what it is to be a Christian godly dad, say, hey, just come up to me after service. Daniel, hey, I'd love to hook up with one of these dads you talked about that's been through this. I will set it up, man, you can go to lunch with them, they would, there's not, a, there's not a gentleman in this room or watching online that I know who would not jump at the opportunity to share a little bit of their journey as a father with a new in the faith or younger in the faith or someone just getting serious about being a godly dad. They would love that. So hit me up on that. It's great. You gotta continue to want to grow in your walk with Jesus. Secondly, Dads are to manage the kingdom work in and through their family. Not just about just learning the Bible, but living it out. Helping them develop character. Teaching them to start serving. It's awesome. Last night, we had a bunch of teenagers. I don't even know how many. I, I got here was a whole big charter bus full of them that got back from Mission Arlington where our kids went and served Jesus in Arlington, Texas. What an awesome thing. Amen. Just great stuff. Yeah, and I hear people got saved, and uh, I mean, our teenagers led other people to Christ. 
They're sharing the gospel. They're living the gospel. They're evangelizing. They're serving. They're doing things in the name of Jesus because parents and grandparents in this church family are serious about their families doing kingdom work. We have a family mission trip coming up next week in Fairmont. I mean, it's just exciting to see church families taking gospel work seriously for their families. That's what it's about. That's what good frontline dad slash pastors slash elders of the family do. Next, if I can find it. Dads are to shepherd God's people in their home. And we kind of broke that down by feeding them God's word. We talked about that. Open the Bible with your family. Secondly, protecting them. Being careful who their friends are. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? But protecting who your kids' friends are. Protecting, watching, you know, what are they reading? What are they watching? What's their intake like? You know, protecting them. As much as you can. You can't control them, but you can protect them. You can guard them. Guardrails are a good thing. We love guardrails on the highway, on a windy road, don't we? Our kids need guardrails. They don't think they need guardrails. They don't want guardrails, but they need guardrails. Can I get an amen? Come on. They need those things in their lives. Parents, that is our job. Dads, that is your job to make sure the appropriate guardrails are in place. Yeah, they might knock up against that guardrail. That usually leaves some scars and some damage to the vehicle, right? It can scar and damage life a little bit. It can make you damage that relationship a tad, but push on. Do the guardrails. It's worth it. Our kids are precious. They're gifts from God. Lead God's people in the home. Lead your family. A godly man avoids passivity, takes the initiative, and leads. You don't have to be the end-all, be-all expert on things, but you lead. You take that first step. And then, lastly, dads are to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. That doesn't mean, guys, that the wife's the deacon that does all the work in the home. It's not what I'm saying, right? No, you, make sure you do the work too, but you are to make sure you are focusing on the word of God and prayer for your family. You focus on that. Be a man of the word. Be a man of prayer. And just see what God does. I know this. We live in interesting times, don't we? I mean, things are just going a thousand different directions. Those of you that have been a follower of Jesus a long time, you know, things that used to be called right are now called wrong. Things used to be called wrong are now right. There's never been, in my opinion, there's never been a time in our nation's recent history been more critical to have godly men than right now. And this is why this talk of pastors, elders, is so appropriate today. Several reasons. Number one, you need to understand biblically how God's designed his bride to be. Secondly, we have a lot of young men in our church Little kids, today's my youngest son Levi's birthday, six years old, pretty cool. We have a lot of little kids, little guys in our church. We have a lot of teenage guys in our church. We have a lot of 20-something guys in our church. Several of them, I have no doubt, are being or will be called by God 
to be elders, pastors, overseers someday. And so we have that opportunity to pour into them, to pray over them, to pray for them. But for those of you who are in that category, the young guys, teenagers, 20-somethings, God may be calling you. Now you're probably saying, no, I know I did. I was 14, I heard that, like, heck no. In fact, here's what was going on. I was sitting in a, I was not here in this church. I was in my little small country church. We always sat in the back pews, teenagers. We had a guest preacher that day. We were not nearly as well behaved as our teenagers are here. So we were passing notes. We were talking. It was terrible. And all of a sudden, this guest preacher said, and you teenagers in the back row. We looked up. I looked at my mom in the choir loft. She was giving me that look. You know what I'm talking about? Like that look like when this service is over, you better run for the hills because you're mine. Like, what have you been doing to get the preacher to call you out? It's like, oh, no. So we like, we look up. But he wasn't going to rebuke us. He should have, probably. Here's what he said. He said, out of that row of you eight to ten teenagers, that's all we had, I guarantee you God's going to call at least one of you to be a pastor. You know what I said? I was the first one to look at my friend, especially this girl I was trying to impress. It's like, not me. No way. Here I am. God calls. His call is beautiful, powerful, but according to Scripture, it's also irrevocable. God may be calling some of you now, tomorrow, next week, next year, but God will call some of our young men to be pastors. And we, church, have that opportunity now to pray for them, to pour into them. Their dads who are here, has the opportunity in their home to pour into them, pray for them, lead them, and guide them. And sure, you may have already messed some things up, but that's not gonna change God's decision on who he calls. So pour in them starting now. So a lot of reasons for us to talk about this on Father's Day. What a great opportunity. But all of these are gonna be dads one day. And we don't know what the next generation's gonna hold. But I do know this, we so desperately need men and women who are totally committed to the word of God, to doing the work of the gospel ministry in this crazy, jacked up world we live in that God loves deeply. He loves this jacked up world so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. But guess what, we're a part of this jacked up world. And we're part of the jacked up part, right? That's why he saved us, that's why we need rescue. So we end with this. As we get ready to go to a time of response, we're gonna pray, invite you first, if you've never trusted in Christ, if you've never given your life to follow him, what a moment. It's a great Father's Day gift to the perfect dad to give him your heart. Secondly, maybe you're a dad and you've messed up some. Man, we all have. And you just wanna pray, say, God, help me to, Help me to take this seriously for your glory. Because, yeah, it's good to provide for your home financially. It's good to provide, you know, all these other things. But it, the most important role of a dad is to lead with Jesus. Most important thing. I need help with that. Hey, great time to pray. Maybe some of the ladies want to come up and pray for your husbands, your sons to be good dads. Or your, pray for your dads. What a beautiful time. Our men need prayer, folks. 
Biblical manhood is under a brutal, intentional, satanic attack. And we need to be praying. Need to be praying. I'm going to give you that opportunity. As the praise team comes on out, um, let's go to the Lord, and I'm going to ask you all to stand. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. Jesus, thank you for your incredible love for us. How you exemplified what true godly manhood is, is you weren't selfish. According to Philippians 2, you willingly left your heavenly home to come to this broken, corrupted, fractured world where humanity was betraying one another, cheating on each other, lying, selfish, greedy, lustful, abusive, but you loved us anyway. Jesus, you went to the cross to die in our place. We don't deserve that. You did it because a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Lord, I just pray if there's anyone here who's never trusted in you and what you've done for them on the cross, that Lord, today, they would say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, because I am a sinner. I am messed up and broken, and I need your salvation to be forgiven of my sins, to be cleansed, to be beginning this process of being restored and sanctified. Lord, I pray that today you would rescue them. Lord, just give them the the desire and courage to come and talk to one of us pastors so we can begin walking with them through these first steps of meeting you and beginning an eternity-long relationship with you. Lord, also pray that we respond in a way that honors you and how we take this opportunity to pray for, pray for dads, to pray for young men who could be called as pastors, who some will be called as pastors and elders and overseers. God, I pray that you would just stir our hearts to, to lift them up to you, to pray for them, to encourage them. God, for to pray for us as a church that we do what we're called to do to pour into them. Lord, like that little church in Antioch, Tennessee, poured into me. Lord, we've already seen many raised up in this church and sent out, and you're using it in great ways. God, thank you. Lord, just keep that going and then some. Lord, help us to really lift up our men. What a brutal attack is going on on men in our nation where identity is at stake, is in crisis. Understanding what a man is, is in crisis. Lord, I pray that you help us, grow us to be the men you called and created us to be, what our nation needs to spark revival, to spark awakening in you. So Lord, we just give this time to you. Pray that you're honored in how we respond. Pray that we're obedient in how we respond. All for your glory's sake, in Jesus' name, amen.